Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with some great guests that I think you're really going to enjoy. So, if you're like me, you're you're on Twitter and all of this news just kind of rolls past you constantly. It's a weird place because uh, in some ways you encounter a lot of bad stuff that you never would have encountered, but you also run into many stories that otherwise would have flown entirely under the radar if you had not been kind of plugged into kind of this uh, you know hub of the, of the journalistic consciousness in uh, in the tech space. And one of the things that kind of came up, it didn't get much play in America, but it did make some waves uh, kind of on the Twitter sphere, was the fact that there was this uh, this scandal going on in Canada about uh, these residential schools, these indigenous groups, these children who might have been buried in these mass graves, uh, kind of the churches that were burned in response to this, a whole a whole bunch of different controversy that surrounded this. Now, of a little while ago, it became clear that many parts of this story might have been untrue or completely fabricated. And that has now kind of trickled its way into the more mainstream press, the United States, uh, the UK, other areas have become more aware of this narrative. So I wanted to go back, look at this story, get an idea of what was going on and what we've discovered. And joining me to do that today are two of my favorite Canadians, two of my favorite Leafs. We, of course, have the great substacker, Kruptos. Thanks for joining me, sir. Hey, pleasure to be on. Um, Oren, thanks for the invite. Absolutely. And of course, one of our favorites, he is an artist. He is a scholar. Uh, he is a co-host of a, a podcast with one of our Republican other thought leaders, uh, Republican well. thought leader. Absolutely. He is giant geo. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. And the reason I don't have a Fez is because I feel like serious subject matter. So I'm putting on my serious hat metaphysically. Th so this we'll... is, yeah, th this is the most serious I've ever seen geo. Uh, so, th so that, that, that definitely speaks to the uh, the gravity of the situation. Uh, appreciate him, uh, you know, kind of kind of bringing the more somber tone to this because I think it it is something that is pretty significant and something we need to look at in real detail. So, guys, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure which one of you kind of want to take want to take this out take us out on this a little bit, but most Americans are probably completely unfamiliar with the history here. What are residential schools? What do they have to do in relation to the indigenous population in Canada? And what did this controversy kind of entail? Well, I think crypto, sh crypto should go first because not to age docs, not to dry snitch, but he's been a around a lot longer than both of us, <laughs> especially in Canada. Well, so, yeah, the, the, the thing about the residential schools is they were um, a... Largely, and this is part of the whole story, they were largely a progressive solution um, to solve the quote unquote Indian problem in a sense. So the, you know, Canada was put together as a mix of, um, you had the British conquering the French and um, the native tribes. And in, you know, rather than say annihilate everybody, they reached settlements with both the French and also with the natives in terms of, um, reserves and over the years these settlements have been negotiated and renegotiated they get special tax breaks and so forth um, now the reserves have experienced all kinds of problems um, there are problems with alcoholism for whatever reason the native population um, just has an intolerance. like some people like some people groups have intolerance to milk or cheese um, the native population does not react well to alcohol 
And so um, for some tribes that, you know, even if several drinks can basically make them alcoholics. Um, so you have some of these issues. So then what happens to the kids of some of these folks that have been, you know, in a sense, damaged through the process of conquest, the reserves, um, just the, the sort of the marginalized place that, that um, Native Canadians have been um, in Canadian society. So you get these kids who are um, sometimes um, parentless or the parents are unable to take care of them. They're with grandma and grandpa. Then you have this whole progressive idea, you know, ideology in a sense, we're going to help the native population integrate into Canada. And so you begin to pack up a lot of these kids and you put them into schools that are government funded, but end up being run by churches, by the Catholic Church, by the United Church, and so forth. And the Anglican Church as well. Anglican churches. And so some of these schools were phenomenal. Like you you go through the list of stories, and while you can hear horror stories, and there, there there's no denying some of these places were not good places and some of the teachers were were terrible people. Um, there are also some very good stories that come out of it, like people who will claim that their lives were saved by the residential schools and so forth and so forth. So you often have underfunded teachers, pastors, priests um, working in these residential schools, um, trying to do the best that they can with many of these kids who come in bringing problems with them and try to deal with a tough situation. And then... Um, you know, kids get sick, they die, they often put in requests for proper burials, they get denied, and so they're, you know, just buried in the churchyard. Um, and then eventually people realize, like, well, maybe this whole sense of forced enculturation um, is maybe not the most of progressive ideas, and eventually they were shut down, like, what, mid-90s they ran up until, right? I think they were still going into the, the 90s. The last major one was in the 1960s, if I recall, but up until the 80s or 90s. Yeah, and um, and so they get shut down, but then now there's this this legacy. So you have this, you know, what do we make of them as Canadians? Are they, are they a good thing, a bad thing? And generally, people have sort of settled on, well, these, this was a terrible era in Canadian history, right? And so um, then you have a chief and a tribe out in BC who, you know, makes the case that, well, their oral history of their tribe, so the stories they tell themselves, um, say that these schools were horrible and that their children buried in there. There's like quote-unquote, mass graves. So somebody takes some ground-penetrating radar, goes out and finds what looks like on the ground-penetrating radar to be skeletons. And then everything blows up in the press. And um, uh, Justin Trudeau um, makes the comments that, well, that, you know, their their feelings are, are justified. Well, um, people said there was some, I think the first what happened is some churches got burned in, re, in in response to this. And then Trudeau made the comment, well, you know, people's feelings about this are very understandable. Um, and then realizing that he'd made a big blunder, tries to walk it back and say, well, of course, attacks on churches are, are uncalled for. But I think there's something like where north of 80 churches now have been set fire or vandalized in some like severe way. 
Um, and so now it remains open, but there was always from the very beginning um, a segment of, of the population who were very skeptical, a number of academics, um, some of whom lost their jobs um, because of that. I'm trying to find, see if I can get her name. But anyways, and, and so they have maintained that, you know, there, there really isn't anything to this, you know, and, and people were actually saying, like, listen, we don't want to shy away from the history. We don't want to say that these places were all, you know, sunshine and roses, that bad things did happen. Some people did get sexually abused. Um, some kids did not did end up dying of, of disease and neglect because they didn't get proper medical care. But sometimes because, you know, the, the teachers and pastors and priests were trying to tell the government, hey, these kids need medical care, but they weren't being gotten. And so, um, you know, nobody wants to shy away from it. But at the same time, I'll say, like, listen, this story of mass graves and stuff really just, yeah. you know, it strains credulity. And well, so, yeah, but before we get into then kind of what was discovered there, I want to address a few of the things that, that you kind of brought up. So in in a in some ways, you know, there there is a echo of this experience in the United States because there was this tension between, like you said, you know, you, you have these um it, these initial negotiations and, and Native Americans were pushed kind of further and further into different, you know, different parts of America that weren't settled yet. And eventually so much of the area was settled that reservations were established. And, and the big question that many people asked was, you know, what do we do? Do we try to make these people American? Because their way of life is dead now, right? There, there, there's no way that they can continue completely in their in their traditional tribal mode of being. They've made too much contact with kind of modern European peoples. And so they're, they're not going to go back that way. And so a lot of people made the argument that these people need to be Christianized. They need to be modernized. They need to, to be brought into yeah. kind of American culture. And, and these schools were set up at the same time. Uh, there was a turning away from that eventually and more of a respect for, okay, actually you're, you should be able to continue your way as life as much as possible. And so like reservations were respected more and set up. And, and so I don't think this is, this is only the Canadian experience here. Uh, but it sounds like there was a there was the, this hysteria that was fed into a little bit because of of the way this was framed, and it's really the the reaction that was seen as justifiable that I think is is the the most shocking part of it. Because, like you said, people had contested this from the beginning, uh, but they were fired, they were silenced. There seemed to be basically a, a almost a legal bl blackout of Canadian media on discussing any other views on what could be true about this, that kind of thing. I remember one of the reasons this came on, on my radar is all of these churches were burning down and, and, you know, people like Lauren Southern were saying, Oh no, this isn't true. There's evidence that this isn't true. And she was just shouted down, called a racist, completely canceled. I believe, I believe the Pope ended up apologizing for this. He did. Just, Justin yep. Trudeau ended up, you know, like you said, uh, justifying this. I mean, those churches burned, and, and was was anyone brought to justice for that? Was anyone ever, you know, ever held accountable well, for that? Well, if Cryptos, I have a few points. If you, but if you wanted to finish, um, finish well, I was going to say too. Like it, it, it's interesting. Like even the burning of churches is controversial in in the Native community because many of these churches are active functioning like centers of community life in the reserve communities, yes. right? So so it's not like they were attacking like the white man's religion, whatever, blah, blah, blah. These are their own churches, right? That people were burning down. Right. Well, we have to distinguish that the vast majority of these church burnings were not done by indigenous people. They were done by no. white Antifa and other Methodist. 
and leftist groups, yes. Um, there maybe have been a few indigenous people involved, but um, these churches, they, they do provide community centers and so forth. But um, yeah, yeah, so. But uh, it, it, I, what, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead no, you go ahead, you go ahead, Jim. Well, what I wanted to say is that to be as optical as possible, uh, I may come off as being a bit liberal, but, uh, you know, I have a, a great respect and reverence for the indigenous people. But I think another thing, the historical context would be that the experience between the French and the British in Canada is quite different in some respects than Americans. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Americans are British at one time, but you know what I mean, Americans, I especially after when the Constitution was established and so forth. And, you know, and let's face it, you did have a lot of horrific abuses and, and outright, you know, um, campaigns against the indigenous people in America, you know, people talk about Andrew Jackson and so forth, but in Canada, because of the vastness of the wilderness and because of going way back to Champlain and the French, the reliance between settlers and the indigenous people that were already here, the establishment was a bit different because of having to deal with the Canadian wilderness itself. And then later on when established, when settlements were established by the British and French, then you start to have, a different character of relationships between the indigenous people and, you know, the British and the French and so forth for Anglophone and Francophone for those who are American that don't know the, you know, that's what we call it here in Canada. So, but I would say that when it comes to the issue, the contemporary church burnings, we have to realize that yes, the residential school system in a lot of ways even if there was there was many positive experiences, as Krupto says, but the issue is the sort of nature of it themselves in the sense that they are taking children and they're placing them vast distances sometimes from their, their, their reservations. If the program would have been done differently, if there would have been schools established on the reservations, and in a lot of sense, uh, in, in a lot of cases, these children were being protected by abuses on the reservations but then of course because of lack of oversight and funding there was horrific amounts of abuse in some places mm -hmm. of a sexual and physical nature but when it comes to the issue of children dying now there were higher than average amounts of child mortality rates on and off reservations for indigenous children and this is for a variety of reasons neglect also genetically when it comes to say, uh, you know, descendants of European children that have exposure much more to, you know, certain pathogens and so forth, the tuberculosis rates, um, the, the rates of diphtheria and other illnesses, there was a, a big study done after World War I on a lot of these grave sites and these children. A lot of it was disease. And also I would say that, yes, there were childhood deaths attributed to abuse. This is a fact that we cannot shy away from. Now, when it comes to the definition of, I can't say it for YouTube for Oren's channel's sake, yeah. but let's call it G word I. The discourse in Canada is that do the residential schools constitute a form of cultural G word I? Now, I would say that trying to get rid of their language and culture and taking away these children all the way up to the 60s, I would say that yes, I would agree that that in itself was like crypto said may have been the liberalism of the day but still in terms of contemporary standards yes 
that was an incredible abuse and the lack of oversight and everything. We cannot shy away from this. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the contemporary political context of these church burnings that are a result from the issue of the quote unquote mass graves, this is the problem. When mm-hmm. you use that word mass grave, we all know. I don't want, again, for YouTube, we, we can't all know what it, it conjures. Yeah. We all know that event in the 20th century that it conjures. Okay. Mid century, you know. So I think that it was a combination of media politicking, passive admission by the Trudeau government that it's almost, I mean, not Trudeau himself, but there were certainly members of the Trudeau government that said that not only was this justified, but like there were some that were almost passively cheering it on. Right. But also when it comes to indigenous people themselves, uh, another factor is that while this whole thing about mass graves is going on, there was always this relationship between indigenous peoples and the liberal party. We have to realize that there are still reservations in Canada that do not have running water, mm-hmm. that people live in almost third world conditions. And Trudeau has been, how long has it been Crypto's eight years? Since Trudeau yeah, at least, been? at least. Well, and this is going back to his father, or well, I guess stepfather, whatever. But for his father, the relationship, <laughs> you know, I, I don't mean to joke, but I, you know, I, yeah. the, the relationship the between these are there. Yeah, yeah, but the relationship between the Liberal Party and Indigenous communities has been long established; has been a contentious one, mm-hmm. and I think that it's done a massive disservice to neglect the real abuses. And to conjure a fantastical story about mass graves and and other things that that conjures up, when we have reservations and people that live in reservations that are not having their needs met, despite the funding. Now you have to remember the one thing. Now listen, Stephen Harper is not, by American standards, would be the reddest, sorry, the bluest of blue dog or whatever you want to call it, rhinos, right? You'd be the bluest of rhinos. Okay, he is not a far right person, but during his administration, he wanted to push through what he called the Accountability Act to say that for a long time, when it comes to funding for reservations and indigenous programs, there has been kind of a lack of oversight. The first thing that Trudeau did when he came to power was to get rid of Stephen Harper's Accountability Act. Right now, this was not a far right thing. This was this was Stephen Harper we're talking about here. But the first thing that Trudeau did was get rid of it. Now, I think that it's a combination of a lack of oversight, political passivity within the culture of the Liberal Party, but also this sort of media fabulation that in part, you have to realize the context. This is 2021. This is coming off of the summer of love from in America. A lot of what liberals do and leftists do in Canada is they have to create a similar atmosphere as a lot of contentious leftist political issues in America. Mm-hmm. And I believe that a lot of the driving force in terms of the media, in terms of the liberals in the media is basically to say that, okay, we can have also kind of like the Democrats in the States, we can have our issues too. And all of this is in the backdrop of the real world problems that indigenous people face in Canada. Now the, the rates of the rates of women disappearing as well, indigenous women who escape horrific abuses on the reservations that end up in places like Vancouver and mm-hmm. end up tragically being, you know, trafficked and so forth. Some of them meeting people like Robert Picton, 
that by the way was a huge blunder with policing in, in Canada and Vancouver in particular. I mean, all of these issues go un, unmentioned because of the, the sort of the media apparatus around the resident around, you know, the quote unquote mass graves. And there's been a lot of journalists, people on the political left, like Terry Glavin, who published that article that he got absolutely fragged for in the national post, a man who's been talking about and writing about indigenous issues for multiple decades, since at least the 1980s, Terry Glavin is not a right wing person. He is a, he is a lib, right? But he was dragged through the mud. His name was dragged through the mud. And yes, there are problems with his reporting as well. There was this, for example, in Canada land, which is more of a leftist liberal publication, they, you know, poked holes in his story, but they were pretty fair. But despite that, he still stuck his neck out to say that maybe there should be greater accountability by journalists when it comes to reporting on indigenous issues, because he had been reporting on indigenous issues for a very long time from a liberal perspective. And that's just one example. And Kryptos was saying there's academics who have been also dragged through the mud because of it. Some of them were also indigenous people, by the way, that mm -hmm. were indig in indigenous studies that said that maybe this is the wrong approach to addressing the lived experiences of indigenous people in Canada. So that's my little rant. I just wanted to, you know, nuance this whole thing because I do admit that it's a very tragic history when it comes to residential schools and the way that it was set up does constitute abuse when it comes to taking children and right up into the 1960s. I know, you know, I, I know indigenous people who have been a product of that, you know, seizure efforts, uh, you know, during the sixties of, of uh, indigenous children. So, but the way that they approached it, the way that it fomented hatred and abuse towards churches, and it didn't, there were Orthodox churches that got burned because of course, you know, it's like the, the media. They all look the same, right? Yeah. They all look the same. Exactly. Yeah. You know, well, so. It, yeah. And yeah. if you look like, if you look at, at the map of, you know, where these 83 churches are that have been vandalized, right? Um, they're like spread all over Canada, like yeah. in urban areas, out east, up north, you know, in places in Ontario that's, I mean, there were native populations everywhere and there's reserves everywhere. I mean, the whole, the whole history of, of the, um, you know, the quote unquote native problem is, has been difficult from the get-go because, the solution of the the reserves, and then um, largely the federal government um, just funding the life of of Native Canadians, has has also been disastrous for them because it really it it shows you um, what like rampant welfare will do to a people in terms of just destroying them, and um, it's it's been tragic because you you basically um, you take away all of the initiative, the 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 self drive, whatever is left culturally of a people to be themselves, become themselves, is just uh, gone. Um, mm -hmm. And they and then you and then you deal with the corruption, the grift, and everything. Um, and it has just been a festering problem for years and years now. There's land disputes. Um, I mean. Yeah, in southwestern Ontario, we've dealt with it numerous times where they've shut down like major highways, blocked yeah. off of like um, blocked off a whole section of southern Ontario, just basically set up blockades and just dared the government to come in and, and take it away from them. Right. 
um, these sorts of things. And then up by Ipperwash, um, same sort of deal where they just um, took over Provincial Park and just said, this is ours, right? And then dared the government to come in and take it away from them, right? So these these standoffs have been going on for quite some time. And, well, and the Oka crisis back the in the Oka 90s. crisis, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, but the 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 this residential school from a propaganda perspective gave the the liberal government and leftist activists a a perfect opportunity to shift the blame from where it properly belongs, which is you know a half a century of of government mismanagement and bad ideas, and to just kind of wink and nod and say, oh, you know what? Um, it was the Christians' fault. And that yeah. was really, and that was basically, like nobody really said it out loud, except Trudeau kind of did. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> well, Gerald Butts did his big advisor. Did his yeah, big. basically said, and there was a couple of people out in BC who ended up resigning um, activists because they tweeted out, you know, they have it coming. And um, But the, it wasn't just like, because it isn't just one church. And as G was saying too, because it's it's a lot of this is, you know, Antifa thugs, you know, young left-wing activists um, doing a lot of this. It isn't just anger being born out of the native community that that is sort of like now they can kind of release all these feelings that they've had for years and years. A lot of it is just the purely a creation of propaganda. You have left-wing activists that had an issue now and were given permission to basically go and... Um, engage in a pogrom against Christians in Canada. And the prime minister just basically winked and nodded and did nothing. Like, I don't think anybody's ever been prosecuted for it at all. Like I, I, there's no, I mean, I may have missed a story, but there's none that comes to mind where a single person has actually been prosecuted for the whole thing. And yeah, I mean, I, I hate to be the American that just is like, this is just like America. But I mean, in, in this case, I think it's, it's, it's appropriate. You know, it's hard not to pretend like this isn't, again, as kind of Geo pointed out, a mirror of the BLM situation where you had a community, whether people felt felt they had uh, legitimate grievances or not, whose, you know, a, attempts at this thing, you know, what which, which were, were kind of violent on their end, were only magnified by basically government sponsored activists who went out of their way to turn a, a particular isolated incident into a nationwide violent spree of rioting that was again 100% subsidized and approved by the government itself and Canada you know in this scenario they're burning down churches they're tearing down statues you can see again it, it feels like this is a feature almost of kind of these uh you know global american empire affiliated yeah. you know uh, to countries to have this this pattern emerge of saying uh, like like you're saying, Joe, we can do this too. We we can signal our allegiance to kind of the home political party by you know by by having a similar event here and showing our battle against oppression and co-opting it in the same way. You know, driving out activists in the same way, having the same wink and nod uh, acceptance by the government, the lack of any kind of law enforcement, the anarcho tyranny. It, you're just just mirroring the kind of the ruling formula in a different place with a different issue. It, yeah. it, it rhymes with the, you know, with the same kind of uh, events that happen there. hundred so, percent. I mean, they, they, like, for example, I mean, well, the, the model is like, I've always said the psychology of it is very interesting because, you know, libs in Canada are kind of like the, the bluest of blue dog Democrats. Like they're, hmm. they, they, as much as they hate America, 
and they hate the sort of like I would say truncated old version of like John Stewart Jesus Land version of America that does probably doesn't exist anymore or maybe well under Trump it was sort of revived to them uh, they really spiritually they they sort of have the same model I mean let's remember that there was a a period during 2020 where they're like well we don't have any Confederate general statues to get rid of who are we going to get rid of? Oh, Johnny McDonald. And let's face it. Yes, of course. Johnny McDonald had a, a rev, you know, a problematic relationship to the indigenous people. But I mean, it's basically the equivalent of like, well, in America, let's get rid of George Washington statue. That's like, you know, in terms of founding of modern Canada, but did they get rid of John George Washington statues? Or they, they were pulling down Abraham Lincoln statues. They were pulling down Teddy Roosevelt Abraham statues. They, oh yeah. Washington, oh but my God. Yeah, nobody was safe. They, they, no. I mean, well, and they were, uh, I think they were pulling down, you know, uh, uh, statues of the queen and stuff in, 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 uh, Canada. Right. So, oh yes. Again, yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, no, the, nothing different there. I feel. The one difference between the Canadian one and the, the Canadian situation, the U S situation has been the, um, direct scapegoating of the Christian community. Right. For this. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the, the marker. So like over the last summer, you know, we all made fun of James Lindsay for his, um, you know, his, his knock on, 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 you know, Christian nationalists. And so how this was going to bring the state down, gonna bring on the, 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 the summer apocalypse that was going to do America. Yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. and I mean, we all kind of mocked him for it because, you know, it was kind of ridiculous, but yet at the same time, there's those of us who live in Canada, were going like, well, okay. James Lindsay's kind of a ridiculous figure. And this is sort of like the summer of the apocalypse is probably a little bit thing, but, you know, let me talk to you about these church burnings that we got going up here. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, you, you know, we often talk about, so how is the West and everything going to end and what's going to happen and what's it going to be like, right? And one of the things you can see that if the regime becomes stressed, you know, it, it's amazing how Canada has become a test case for like, you know, like with the trucker dispute, how do you deal with like large scale, like really serious threatening um you know, revolts to uh, protests that you can't manage or handle. Well, they showed the model. You start freezing their bank accounts and you take care, like, you know, you may be at the procrast, but when your wife goes to go shop grocery shopping and finds out that the whole business accounts are shut down, boy, that protest, you know, sweetheart, you better just come on home here and just, you know, that type of thing. And in this way, I get the sense that in some ways the Canadian government is also showing the way that as, you know, when push comes to shove, and you get criticism. Now, because of the direct involvement of the churches in the residential school, they made for an easy scapegoat. And it made yes. a very convenient way for them to deflect um, attention away from the, the government, predominantly liberal in Canada. Over the years, you know, Canada's governments have been like three to one liberal to conservative. They call it the natural governing party here. In That's exactly it. Right. And, and so the, the, you know, most of these, these situations have been presided over by liberals over the long term. And so rather than deal with how their own policies over the years have failed right from the very beginning, from the misguided notion of progressivism as it worked itself out and how we're going to, you know, bring these kids along and give them a better life and all this kind of nonsense, anglicize them and the whole bit. 
um, right up to sort of the current conditions. And they can just sort of whitewash all of that. It just kind of memory holes the whole thing because who's to blame? Well, it's the schools and the churches that ran them. They're the bad guys. And so now you can create a scapegoat. You can dump problems off onto them. And nobody is paying attention to the real villain, which is, you know, the liberal administrative state and, mm -hmm. and their terrible policies. And so you can see this as a kind of template. Now, they may not be able to get away with it in every situation, um, but you can definitely see a kind of template at work. And you can sort of see, too, like even in the U.S., from a, a progressive messaging system, in this sense, there is a certain correctness to what James Lindsay is saying, is that progressivism is... is built on the idea of always moving forward. So if, let's say, the natural state of things is that you reach a limit where your inputs no longer are generating the outputs and you're no longer moving forward and you need to blame somebody, well, who are those that oppose progress? Well, it is those backwards Christians. Now, have they not done anything specific? Now, in this case, you had a very specific target. They ran the schools, you can target them, and, and it's very focused. But you can also see it happening in a similar sense that if the state gets more and more pressed, that you now have this model of you can say, well, you know, we haven't been able to realize progress because these backwards Christians have been holding us back. And if we could just do something about these backward Christians, um, then we'll be able to move forward with progress. And that, like that, that's the template there. And that's really, the Canadian government didn't quite go out to say it so much, but it was a sense of like, well, this may have worked had it not been for the churches that ran it. Because they were all basically child molesters and horrible people. And then you have it set up from, you know, the, the church scandals in the Catholic Church sort of, you know, helped lay the groundwork for it. So like, oh, it's infinitely believable now that, well, all these Christians are just basically pederasts and child molesters and, and they're all horrible monsters. And, you know, you get these people standing up and going like, wait a minute, you know, the schools may not have been sunshine and flowers, but. They aren't what you're telling us they are. And then meanwhile, the churches are burning because, you know, white Antifa thugs are setting fire to them in the middle of the night. And the 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 prime minister is saying, well, it's understandable that there's, you know, that these things are happening. And they're like, oh, really? It's understandable that they're happening, right? And so this is, you can see a kind of template being generated um, yeah. for the future. So, so let me ask the, the obvious question here. And, and to be fair, understand this is coming from a guy who just watched his entire uh, country knuckle under after talking about their ability to resist government tyranny for years here recently. So I'm not I'm not throwing any shade on you guys, but like, what's up with Christians in Canada? Did did everyone just stand by quietly and watch their churches burn? Was there no yeah, popular resistance much. to the pretty to much? The, well, what, what's then, the state of the church in Canada? What, what's the state of, of, of is there any resilience? Is there any well, resistance? You have, to, you have to understand, though, too, Orn, that that of the population who identifies as Christian, I think, what is it, maybe 30% of the population identifies as Christian? And maybe if you're lucky, five to 7% are active churchgoers. Whereas in the US, it's like, what, 80% of the people to identify themselves as Christian and something like 35 to 40% go to church twice a month, at least, right? Mm. Kind of thing. And so um, in Canada, Christians represent a significant minority. And so even if we were to get up in arms, um, you know, that they're, the, the majority of the population is really, you're, they're not on your side, so to speak.
Obviously. And the minority status, I'm guessing not granting you any kind of privilege there. Not, no, no, God, no, no, not not really. No, because being religious is coded as being American, being like a, a Trump supporter or whatever. So to like a lot of the urban like libs that live in Canada, like that's basically anathema. Um, even like the United Church, which is basically the United Social Club of Canada, where they have like, you know, impossible women uh Vikers and people like they have people like uh, who is that one guy that wrote that book about it, Tom Harpu. Oh, Tom, like, yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm a bishop, but I don't yeah. believe in God, I don't believe in Christ, but I'm a bishop still. It's like yes. that religiosity in Canada, in some ways, has followed the trends of Europe, European so, countries as opposed to America. So, so you could say. So you could say in, in some ways that the uh, the liberals will eventually take your children and put them into schools to re-educate them and, and you drive like in well, the liberal, mean, in liberal tradition of eliminating they do that already, uh, a minority. Yes, I, I was. Yeah, that's the joke. Yeah, I they're was called public there. schools. Yeah. Right. Um, and, but they do, though. And, and, and by know, the way, by the way, as a product of the Catholic school system, the separate because of the issue with Quebec, which I mean, wholesale dumped the Catholicism in the 60s because of the silent revolution that's another issue for another time um as a product of the catholic school system in canada i think they should just get rid of it it's really not really catholic besides going to a few services a few times a year and having an extra religious class in uniforms and that's pretty much it so uh you know they have to raise the imperial flag of the empire uh every june and the separate catholic school system has to still raise the flag right of the empire wow. so yeah. The jig is up when you've got like what are the population ten to fifteen percent sometimes of schools are are Muslims, you know, and you're realizing like how Catholic are your Catholic schools? Well, Muslim parents they send them to Catholic schools because of the uniforms and because of the extra religious classes, which is understandable. Oh, yeah. uh, but and also another point of clarification people are pointing on the chat is that there are quite a few reservations in Canada that are very quite functional and they've had they managed to create industries both through they do. um resource extraction timber but also tourist industries and other various goods that um well i know the one in caledonia here in ontario uh they have quite a, a good cigarette business but uh because of the punishing um taxes on cigarettes and all tobacco products here in canada but there are quite a few reservations that have managed to become modernized and have industries from you know various industries but unfortunately it's the rural reservations especially out in places like winnipeg that have essentially third world conditions so north, yeah go ahead Western, like north ontario oh and um, northern ontario as well yeah yes. like or like places like thompson manitoba and so forth right like you get up yeah. north there where you know your nearest major community is six to eight hours away um yeah. some of these places are like they literally have police organized um like they're they're dry towns and they enforce them to be dry because if you get any alcohol in the town, if they hear of it, like they will break into your into your houses and so forth. So they're they're quite, quite problematic. Um, but you're right, Gio, there there are some places that are are high functioning and yeah. um and produce, you know, uh, very high level um Canadians that you know integrate well into the power structures and so forth, but there are some also that are profoundly yeah. dysfunctional as well too. Well, it's very funny how there's the uh, protests against the oil industry. Uh, there's a lot of indigenous people that are like, well, if you get rid of uh, the oil industry for the environment and you have people like David Suzuki and Margaret Atwood protesting and American celebrities too, like ZB list celebrities like that Rufo guy, 
well, no, sorry, not Rufo, Ruffalo, you know that? Uh, Mark Ruffalo, yeah. Mark Ruffalo, yeah. People, there are indigenous people who are like, if you get rid of these oil rigs, you get rid of our jobs. So it's yeah. uh, it's uh, ridiculous. Of course, America has this activist pipeline and so forth. But, yeah. we, 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 we do have to conquer the world with our liberal activists. It's the only thing. Yeah. It's our, it's our, our uh, saddest but most powerful export. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you guys. Now we kind of know, right? There, there's been a lot of excavation. There's been more searching, and after years, there's been no. As I understand, they've produced like no bodies. There's been no mass graves. There's been a realization that pretty much all of this was false. That the 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 story was entirely manufactured and promoted by activists in the media and even the government. Uh, who encouraged all this, all these travesties, and but there, but there's no there there, and in the wake of all this censorship, people fired, churches destroyed, communities torn apart, like all of this stuff. Has there been any acknowledgement by the government? Has there been any acknowledgement by the people? Are you even allowed to talk about the fact that this is basically fake and that this was a huge scandal that was perpetrated on people in Canadian media at this point? Well, what's interesting is that more American media has been open about it. But the only like really exceptions are sort of like the stalwart conservative papers, like the national post that have been and you know, various people like uh, rebel media, although let's face it, rebel media, they're an activist, you know, they're like normie con activists. They're not really like a credible news source, blah, blah, blah. They, the, like a know, project Veritas type. Of... Yeah. Yeah. Ezra Levant. I mean, I don't want to speak ill of anybody, but uh, <laughs> I have my own <laughs> issues with Ezra Levant, but. You know, yeah, there's been people like that have been talked about it, but I, in terms of the acceptability of it, I mean, not to say that this would ever pass. I mean, you never know, but there has been, you know, in, in Canada, I guess in America, you also have um, this culture with like, well, you don't call it backbenchers. Here in Canada, they call minor MPs uh, backbenchers. There are certain like activist people, like there's this one lady in the NDP. For those who don't know, the NDP, the, the National, the New Democrat Party, they're like, um, well, they're in a bit of an identity crisis now because, you know, because Trudeau is outliving them. They're sort of like the, there used to be the left labor party, but now mm -hmm. they're sort of like the more woker than Trudeau party. One of them proposed a bill against quote unquote residential school denialism in the name of quote unquote curbing disinformation. Right now, the you know, the problem with that is that Nobody who has been critical of this is denying the reality of the residential school program, but also the abuses in the residential school program that did exist. It's just the context of a lot of these quote unquote mass graves were, for example, graves of children that did have a lot of them did have markers, but because they were poor, the church didn't have a lot of resources. They were wooden markers and they weren't maintained by the communities that were there. You have cases where bodies were wrapped in coffins, were separated. So even the language itself of quote unquote mass grave as putting a large volume of children in a single location, it's, you know, like I've said, people have the image of bodies being bulldozed into pits right, and right. so forth. The, these were, they were grave markers that were differentiated, that were given burial rates, and that in a lot of cases did have paperwork attached to them. It's just that they fell into disrepute. Um, a lot of the reservations didn't have funding because, and, and again, this is where I am critical of the whole program of the residential school system. 
of taking children and placing them in different locations throughout the country than where they were born in the reservations. A lot of the children that belong to certain reservations, these reservations did not have the funding to go to these different places in Canada and have upkeep when it comes to these graves, right? And we could also say the child mortality rates disproportionately affected Indigenous children as well. So, but the problem is the rhetoric of calling it denialism is a very classic leftist tactic. It's loaded with very specific language and imagery and and in an international, it has nothing to do. It's not connected to the event itself or to the culture itself or to the place in which it's being used. It's literally just being borrowed from a global narrative and being applied there so that it invokes certain types of uh, censorship, certain kind of faux pas. Yeah, to exactly. basically, you're you're repeating World War II all over again, right? You know, and but the the thing also too, like you're noting too, with the lack of funds to go and visit and maintain these grave sites, is part of the problem was is that the government denied the funds in the first place for proper burials. Oftentimes, oh, so, I didn't know this. I didn't know. You know, this. so that so there was. Um, you know, that was one of the problems. They they not only didn't get proper medical care, but when, you know, when the times for burials came, the, the money was not there to, you know, say, send the bodies back to families and all these types of yes. things. So, so some of these priests just, they would say like, listen, you know, we wept for these kids. We did the best we could, um, you know, and like, these are like the good, the positive stories, right? We did the best we could, but, you know, th- th- we could only do so much. Right. And so, the, again, the, the government wants to to really avoid having to face over and over again that, you know, they were the ones who dropped the ball, that they denied the proper funding, they denied proper oversight. They just basically fobbed this off on the churches. And then, you know, when the when the native communities tried to 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 deal with it, um, just drag their feet in that end as well too in the after and so this thing has come up so it's it's again you know to borrow trudeau's language it's not surprising that many of these native communities are just really really upset about this whole thing and are willing to go kind of scorched earth and even to the point of just making stuff up um you know or being willing to believe that there's quote-unquote mass graves with all that that implies um because for them as a community that's their felt reality over the years. It's just kind of built and built and built, right? And then so it just becomes like a tinderbox. It's just waiting to be set on fire. And but also, I have a question, though, maybe is more towards Oren being an American, is that, like, well, Kryptos, you and you, we both know that Indigenous people are sort of more woven into the fabric of Canadian history and society and so forth. But it seems like in America, like then the indigenous issue doesn't really come up as much as opposed to say African-Americans or other historic groups. I mean, it seems that, I mean, that there's not a same, like, and you could argue, you could argue that indigenous people in America were treated way, way worse. And so I wonder, yeah. Well, I think in America, it just gets lumped into the, uh, you know, the oppressed class. As yeah. in Canada, you have, I think Canada has a a more difficult time generating the uh, the emancipation narrative, you know mm-hmm. the 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 mm-hmm. oppression of emancipation narrative, and so the in you know uh, the the indigenous population becomes that for them in the same way it is in Australia, uh, where yeah, where that, yeah, that, that that's so important to them 
as where in America the the uh, you know African Americans and the 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 idea of you know slavery and everything is much more tied to that. So the narrative remains the same. The 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 role that the narrative plays in all of these societies is similar, but the object of focus zooms in and out depending on who who is relevant, who who is useful to kind of that deconstructive narrative. So I think that's why they take a more central role in Canada's yeah. because it's more useful. We trust me. I taught American history for quite a few years, and we spent plenty <laughs> yeah. of time talking about uh, about all the all the terrible uh, you know injustices done. So that it's not that it doesn't exist in America; it's just that it, it gets folded, I think, into as a secondary yeah. narrative, even though it's arguably quite more horrific, like you said, uh, than, than than perhaps other aspects. Uh, it, it it gets yeah. folded in, given a second. Scene. It was complicated on the frontier as well, with uh, you know. The, the mythic uh, American frontier has been such an ingrained thing yeah. within the identity of America itself. I mean, yeah, but sorry, go ahead. Crypto, go ahead. I was just going to ask Oran, do you do, like, I don't know. Like I know there's like some communities like in, in, um, in New England um, and so forth, Vermont and those places where they have some tribes, but generally, my sense of it is that, that most of them are in the plain states and out west, or or maybe I'm mistaken. Where, like, if you go into, you know, do you have reservations in, say, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, uh, Texas? And well, so New forth? York has a lot of them. Yeah, we we yeah, have reservations we everywhere. Have reservations. So, that's a, so it's the same sort of situation. Then now, do you run into places like where they have conflicts with the reservations, or like it's not a story that you really hear? Like that's so, like you don't really hear about it a lot. So in America, a lot of these reservations have been basically turned into kind of money money factories by people who want to operate businesses that otherwise wouldn't be legal or would be heavily taxed inside the United States. So, for instance. In Florida, the Seminole tribe, oh, tribe owns all gambling. They own all casinos because they can operate them on their land. In fact, the Seminole tribe uh, ran a funny they, they ran a uh, basically a fake campaign to get rid of greyhound racing in Florida because uh, because uh, paramutual facilities were the only place besides Seminole uh, reservation land that you could gamble in Florida. And so they pretended to care about animal rights and they like ginned up all these animal rights act activists. To eliminate greyhound racing just so they could uh, eliminate their competition for uh <laughs> for, for, for gambling <laughs> profits in the united states I, I believe in florida the italian mafia had to cut deals with a lot of indigenous reservations <laughs> yeah, back yeah. In the day. so they could yeah. they could run it like nevada yeah but the, yeah so yeah. so there is a weird relationship in the united states where a, a lot of these are have have been basically uh you know the reservations still exist but in many ways they become uh, just just land that is hollowed out and used entirely by corporate ventures that otherwise wouldn't be able to operate inside certain parts. Good for them, though. I mean, if, I mean, if you're going to secure the bag, right? Like, yeah, then, yeah. Then, then, then do it that way, though. In many ways, it ends up being like one guy who's one sixty fourth seminal running the whole thing. You know? So oh, how much is the actual tribe? You know, uh, the thing is that uh, most people in America are like some mixture of German, Irish uh uh and Anglo. you know, anglo-saxon and and and, and uh, native american like that's yeah. just a that's a standard mix that's my mix that's the you know to, to different degrees that's most people's mixes in the mm -hmm. united states and so there I, I don't know what the level of integrated you know kind of kind of uh genetic scenario is in, in canada but in america that's that's a pretty most people can probably trace one side or the other of their family to some native american tribe somewhere well, 
in Canada, there is also issue with uh, status cards and, and the Miti and well, Kryptos, you you probably know a lot more about that. So, well, in the the, the especially in Manitoba, there was um, a fair degree of integration between the native and the European populations, such that you had sort of um, a, a very mixed race type of people, the Métis, and they had their own special um, reserve out there, but. Um, now I'm just drawing his, I'm drawing a complete blank on his name. Um, but there was actually a series of revolts. Um, and uh, you know what, I'm just going to Google it right now. Um, otherwise, it's going to drive me nuts. The Métis revolts. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah, yeah there, Louis, there Riel. Louis Riel. Louis there Riel, we go. yes. Yeah. Yes, so Louis Riel. And, and um, so they had the, they were such as the First Nations Cree, Assiniboine, um, in Saskatchewan and, and, and Manitoba. And um, they actually rebelled against the, the British government at the time, like the, the colonial government at the time. And so it, it you know, it has not been peaceful at always, and there has been flare ups. Um, and yeah, so some tribes integrate better, some don't. Um, but I think in part because of how Canada is laid out in that 200 kilometer strip, there's a, you know, there's a lot of rubbing up against each other on a, a fairly regular basis, you know? So you have land that, that um, you get like the Caledonia one where there was land that was given over to developers. They had housing developments on them mm. and the native population says, well, um, that belongs to us. That's native. And so they more or less claim that as native population. And you have these people who are now inside a conquered territory in in caledonia and they're like these people are going like uh we bought these houses legally you know these belong to us and the natives are like no these you know so these are the types of situations that you get yeah. um mm -hmm. that you've had had evolving in in canada to some extent well with uh, oka i mean let's face it listen i'm not a big fan of golf but so maybe i'm biased but just gave they should just gave them the golf course okay like uh, it, it was over a golf course and the the military that's you have the famous photo of the indigenous person with an AK-47. How they got an AK-47 in Canada, I don't know. But, you know, probably through, it's through America. Let's face it, through America. Um, you know, the famous photo where the Canadian military officer uh, staring down the indigenous activist with the AK-47, uh, you know, that dispute, they should have just given them that land. It was to develop a golf course. So a lot of these things, they could be avoided. And there's been like in Canada, there's a whole huge like cottage industry with these like um, these law schools because a lot of the uh, indigenous activists go to become lawyers because of course their education is free in Canada. So it's basically to settle these land disputes. And a lot of these land disputes, some of them have gone back for multiple, multiple decades and they still haven't been resolved. There's a huge, especially up North, there's a huge issue with, uh, these land dispute claims, which I think in America, I know that there was a lot of issues as well. I mean, of course, wounded knee. There were seventies. Yeah. <laughs> <Just a few laughs> yeah. 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 Um, uh, of course, American just, uh, groups tend to be more well-armed, but you know, I mean, yeah. So, so, so uh, we're, we're running low on time, but I want to ask you guys one more question before we kind of pivot over to uh, a few super chats we have there. So I guess my question would be given that the way the government was a and the media were able to kind of use this 
Uh, and the way they were able to perpetuate this, the way they, they were able to be swept up like this, and the way it feels like they're just going to entirely get away with it, right? Like, even though this is proven pretty much entirely false, there's, there's going to be no, no... Like, what does that mean for Canada going forward? Like, is there a is there a hope that, you know, you saw the trucker protest, you saw some pushback in Canada through some of the extremes, but, like, is there a, a hope that there will be a resurgent uh, kind of opposition in Canada, something that can actually stand... Or is the government just going to be able to kind of slam this button whenever it feels like it wants to, to kind of, uh, you know, uh, use you know, Christians or, you know, the, the small percentage of actual uh, conservatives in the nation as a scapegoat whenever they feel it's necessary? Well, yes. And and that not only that, but they clamp down on our guns as well, too. So, oh, yeah. Um, Can't buy handguns a- anymore. Can't buy handguns, um, and there's a whole bunch of guns. I was just talking with a, a buddy of mine who's a hunter, and he has some guns that he says, "I'm really glad them got got these a few years ago." He says because some of the ones, because he's actually got a, he can carry a pistol. He's got all of his licenses. Not a policeman, but um, um, has just went through the process, did all the things, and worked. It. But um, he says, "I couldn't get half the guns I own right now, anyways, um, to buy the day." But so there's that. Um, just as you know, um, Gordon McGill wanted me to note that you know the trials for Tamara Lynch and Chris Barber are going oh, on. What's going again. on right now? So these are going on again in the trucker dispute. So they're being their punishments are going to be kept down. And these are again, you don't hear about it in the news at all because they're quietly getting um, railroaded. Um, who knows? I mean, maybe they'll get the, off. The audit report was people were saying that I hate to say it, but there were certain conservatives in Canada that were like, see, they're going to get Trudeau this time. No, but I not. think I said this on the show with Lauren. <laughs> I said, um, it's sort of like the, I, I don't want to bring out Carl Schmidt here, but like <laughs> he who decides the exception, like mm-hmm. what did you think was going to happen? The judge was a liberal party member. I don't think they're going to punish Trudeau over the, mishandling of the trucker situation anytime soon so not anytime soon no and and um it's uh you know the, so all of these things are still in the background i mean you know this is the one of the sad things that you have in canadian life is that you know you can go shopping you can go to the mall you can work but people do not realize the degree to which um you know, you, you just can't say certain things in public that, you know, it's a quasi totalitarian state, you know, in a sense that the state wishes to dictate the totality of your life and not just how you act, but how you think. Um, and so you have to say the right things, you know, you, you know, you're expected to honk when the, the native protesters are on the bridge flying there, like every life matters flags, you know, all of these types of things. Um, you know, Canada is a country where, um, you know, workers of the world unite is, is a, is a company. I mean, not a lot of people read Vaclav Havel, but you know, once you have, and you look around and you see, um, workers of the world unite is predominant everywhere. So, and everyone can, yeah, and they can come down on us pretty much anytime they want to. So the, the whole system is bought, I mean, with, um, the human rights tribunals, um, I think isn't even Jordan Peterson's now stuff is now finally. Well, he's has to, he has to go through a media training program. Oh, okay. He doesn't so even live in Canada anymore, does he? No, yeah, no it he'll probably not go. Yeah, no. Well, he's got the Daily Wire money, so he'll you know. But I, I have to distinguish <laughs> though. It, it's good that Kroptos brought up, um, brought up Varkov Havel because I want to say that Canadians we're not as bad as Europe in terms of like explicit legal fare. 
I mean, listen, I use my real name and face. Yeah. Giovanni Petticelli is my real legal birth name, but it's more of the culture of sort of like go along to get along that Havel talks about in the green grocer case. That is Canada. It's more oh, yeah. of the social conditioning. And eventually probably there will be laws. I mean, the trucker thing was met with brutal uh, crackdowns in states of exception. And, and uh, well, they don't call it the war measures act. What do they call it again? Uh, Cryptos don't call. It oh the yeah, they had they they acted on, on all the things that they used. Emergency to, Powers uh, Act. Yeah, Emergency yeah. Powers Act. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And unfortunately, yeah, the, the opposition in Canada, in terms of people that are conservative or right wing, they unfortunately default to like a lot of American assumptions, and like a lot of these truckers. I mean, you know, God bless them, but like they said, you know, Canada. Well, we do have a constitution in Canada, but it's not like the American. No. Uh, you know, it's like unfortunately they consume American conservative, like Fox news media Ezra Levant and rebel media have, you know, catered to more of an American audience by pumping East celebs like Lauren Southern and others into America. So there is like no organic opposition in Canada. That's a big problem. But my last final word would be, uh, well, two things, by the way, I have to say this. I, I've been, I received a text just now, Oren. my, my girlfriend is a big fan of yours she really likes your stuff, so I have to say that on air. Um, you know, before I forget. No, I appreciate. It. I mean, the, the the true cell death has died. You know, you, uh, you died the real death. But, uh, I but know. Uh, I'm glad you have a woman of an exquisite taste, at least. Well, know. yeah, she's one of yours or an American. So you know, but uh, well, one day we'll, we'll exfiltrate you. Don't worry. We'll... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but one last, <laughs> a serious point would be that I think you raise a really great question in that I think that there must be a balance between the needs of indigenous people in Canada who have historically gone through abuses and the needs of Christians in Canada. Unfortunately, we have a government in Justin Trudeau that is not serious in any regard in terms of balancing the issues, but also in terms of just the historic precedent of the Liberal Party, as Kryptos was saying, when it comes to indigenous issues. They can cause... You know, they could talk about all of the activism they want, but the reality is, is that the abuses by indigenous people at the hands of the Liberal Party has been numerous. And, and the seriousness of these issues will never be met because we have a spectacle, media-driven administration that, frankly, are concerned with other things and optics rather than the interests of the Canadian people at large, and especially indigenous people and especially Christians in Canada. I'm sorry, but the Trudeau government has been on every issue largely a failure because we do not have serious people in charge. I mean, well, no. that's the reality of it. Sorry, and, and, and that's my this little is not, This is not the only, like, the, the Native issue is not the only issue, too. Like, there was recent, like, they are looking for every issue dealing with immigrant populations to, to oh, yes. basically, like, everything is like, well, we've got to worry about Islamophobia. Right. And so the big concern, like nobody worries about the the the, you know, the native born Canadian Christian population in Canada at all. Um, and so they're just they're always that ready scapegoat there waiting for things to happen at the side. You just you have that, you know what I mean? And everybody knows who the thing and people ask like you know what is it with canadian radicals why are there so many on the on the online dissident right scene so many canadians and why do these canadians yeah. seem so radical well, because once the dime drops for you in canada 
like and you look around and you realize and you see the state of things it's like well i'm you know everything that people think is happening in the states we're experiencing it firsthand right here and um so then there's just sort of well you know if they're gonna if they've already outlawed everything i think anyways i might as well just you know um go to the wall with it you know and and um just jump in with two feet because there's really at that point there's like half measures really don't do it for you well another irony being is that among the indigenous people i mean higher rates of um church attendance higher rates of gun ownership certainly <laughs> i i wondered yeah, yeah i was gonna say yeah. a, you know, a number of uh of course native americans ended up being christian so i had wondered how you know how, uh, how much overlap there was in that venn diagram so. oh, yeah oh yeah actually yeah. geo's right actually they have a higher rate of church attendance than the general population in canada and they could never outright ban guns in canada because of them as because well. of them. yeah no. i mean well because of their their rates of hunting and gun ownership is way higher than the average population you know, and, and another thing too, dem- demographically, Canada, as opposed to America, even even though America is kind of going that trend with the uh, the mega cities and all that, Canada is like an incredibly urbanized population. Most Canadians, in, in you know, newly landed immigrants, exist in like the major four cities: Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. Uh, am I missing a few corrupt? Uh, who else? Wow, you've got the mid-sized cities. Calgary, you like Calgary, Calgary, you know, and then you know Hamilton, Edmonton. Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Kitchener, Waterloo, London. Um, yeah. All yeah. around the American border, by the way, mostly like yeah. the, that. Yeah. So Canada has like the demographic issues in Canada, especially with the rates of immigration that, which by the way, also will affect services for Indigenous people. I mean, not to make the whole like the li- the liberal parties the real racist, but you know, I mean, immigration in Canada, there's not even a will among the Conservative Party to seriously reconsider this correlation between immigration and the housing market in Canada and artificially propping up that housing market and the strain on healthcare and education and other vital services, uh, let alone the demographic issues that come with it. I mean, there's really no will in Canada to even discuss yeah. these things. So that's well, why a lot of Canadians on the right, they just go to America. Really. All, right, well, guys, all right, guys, we do, we do have a number of questions for you. So oh, I don't, sorry, we just rant and rant and yeah. rant here. I love both of you, but, but neither of you are about brevity and, uh, and there are many, yeah. many uh, reasons for you to be angry about Canada. So I don't blame you, but we, we yeah. do have to get to some of the, uh, the questions here for the people. But before we do that, guys, uh, let's go ahead. I've already had people asking about where to find your work. So Kryptos, if you go first, please tell people where are you on Twitter? Where's your Substack? Where else can people hear you? Okay, so on on uh, Twitter, I'm at underscore Kryptos with a K, um, and then um, on Substack, it's uh, SeekingTheHiddenThing.com. So I have bought my domain name, so it'll you'll find it. But just Substack, um, SeekingTheHiddenThing.com. All right. And then Geo, please let everybody know where to find your excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, most people know it from Twitter. So at giant geo, but my uh, YouTube telegram is giant art productions as well as my um, Instagram where all of my art posting, I have, I've been lacking on my art posting because currently I'm writing a book of art criticism called neoliberal catch art in the 21st century, which hopefully will be out early next year. Um, nice. Plowing through it. And uh, of course, you can find my Telegram as Janet Productions. That's where I have my more spicier rants. But please go to my YouTube channel. I need to get more YouTube subscribers for my content-minded podcast. And of course, me and Prudentialist, we have the Digital Archipelago. This week, it's going to be on his channel. 
Next week will be on my channel. We're going to have a, another news oriented um, stream. And hopefully next week we'll have more of an art oriented stream. We have to yeah. cover this British miniseries called Nathan Barley, a predicted life in the internet age. So it's wow. going to be beautiful. It's going to be my on my channel this week. But tomorrow at 2.15 p.m., it's going to be on Prudentialist's channel. So Yeah. And my next piece. Oh, Patreon.com. So that's Giant Productions and Substack at uh, Geo's Content Corner. Go to Patreon.com or, you know, I have PayPal and all that good yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. Sorry, my, I have to grift in no. grift mode. <laughs> my, my upcoming piece is going to be um, working towards a, a theology of Netter. So... Um, Whoa! Nice. Uh, I know. So I've oh, been boy. tooling around. So I'm actually laying out outlines for that. So we're going to work towards, um, a, try to just begin pushing towards a theology of no enemies to the right. And what was your previous piece on cryptos? We were going to cover that in a Twitter space. I forgot about. We that. were going to do that. That was just the one on why you why we can't, um, which we should still do, Gio. Um, and why mm -hmm. the same thing that that Orn and I talked about is why the um, administrative state can't be reformed. It. Um, you you just you have to bring it all yeah. down. Yeah. We got that. We've got that uh, episode in the backlog. If anybody wants to check it out, it was a very good yeah. one. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump over to our questions from the people. Uh, Thogo here for seven dollars says, "Why are the British former or why are the former British colonies, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, performing so badly against the socialist assault on liberty?" Yeah, guys, what's up with the satrapies? Why are they? Uh, why are they so? Uh, why are they so much more woke than even the Americas? They don't have the theology of the American uh, founding, but you go ahead, Kruptos. There's a there's many well, reasons for this, but there is. Take this one. It's it's. I think at some point in time, people just got tired of the cost of of having colonies in the sense of of being a um, a conquering a conquering nation. So um, as decolonization occurred. Um, the stories began to get told, um, and people began to look at this as as an as a quote unquote embarrassing period. You weren't allowed to talk about um, the the triumphs, and it was just sort of a crisis in confidence in Western culture. Sort of happened right around the period of um, decolonization, as you know, India claimed its its independence, as um, Australia. Um, you know, so it, it, all of these things were happening. Um, and so now the one thing you can't do is say that, well, no, um, British Western culture is a good thing and, and we should be imposing it upon you. And this is partly the thing of the residential schools happened during a time when you could still say that, well, you know, it's good to be British and Western and we're doing these Indians a favor by making them more British. And then all of a sudden, um, the progressive dime dropped and, and the meme changed. And now all of a sudden, it was no longer acceptable from progressive standards to, to say that they had lost their confidence in their own culture. And now you had to apologize for it because that was the progressive. It was just we were, we were mean and ugly and we should never have engaged in, in these kinds of imperial actions. Yep. Um, That's right. All right. And that's kind of where everything goes now. And that's what really drives it is that guilt for the imperial past. Sorry. I think they also know where power lies and making sure to signal um, allegiance to it, uh, even at the global level, is, is essential for the ruling parties know who uh, oh, yeah. you know uh, butter their bread uh, in all of those countries. And they know that it isn't the American right. Uh, all right. So uh, Mr. Clarity here for uh, 10 Canadian. 
Uh, talking about this with Normie Canadians is nigh impossible. There's almost no counterpoint in respectable Canadian media. The orange shirt branding and yearly uh, shame rituals is a slick package. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Basically impossible to have pushback because uh, the, no can, respectable Canadian media will touch it. There are, there are pieces here and there, even in the CBC, ironically enough. But yeah, in terms of like the media proper, I mean, certainly the activist class, I mean, my God, they, they like, like I mentioned Terry Glavin. I mean, you know, there are like leftist activists and NDP people saying that he's part of a, part of a G word eyed culture. And, you know, this is a man who's written about indigenous issues for forever. And it's, yeah. Well, yeah. like I've, I've, you know, because of my education and so forth and, and some of the activities we do, we move in and out of, you know, um, managerial class circles and so forth. You want to get a room quiet really fast. It's just to say something offhand, you know, like, yeah, if we had a Trump up here in Canada, I'd vote for him in a, in a, in a heartbeat. <laughs> and you can just, you can just see, mm. you know, you might as well sprout it horns on your head and, you know, um, the, the flames of hell like coming up around you. Um, they they just simply do not want to hear it. Um, most Canadians have been, especially in the professional classes, completely brainwormed. Like, I I know professionals who like two years ago, three years ago, um, transgenderism was not a thing. Now they talk about how transitioning children is is such a wonderful thing for them that they can express themselves. And you're like, and and you know, so like. Um, you know, no, you, if you really want to find normie Canadians you can talk to, you've got to get outside of the cities, but then most of them are conservatives and then you don't have to. But once you get into the cities, almost everyone, you just have to be very careful about who you talk to. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. You have to be very careful about how you open your mouth up and, and you know, who you talk to in public. Yeah. It's just the way, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike Oxlong here for four ninety nine. Uh, horrifying subject matter, well-addressed by great guests. Thanks, gents. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you guys. Well, thanks, I'm glad, yeah, I was glad to, we were able to get both of you on uh, to, to bring this up. Uh, and again, you know, Geo taking the fez off, knowing that this is a this is a critical moment and oh, yes. uh, you know, show, showing the due respect. All right, and then Tiny Rick here for one nine. Any thoughts on annexation by America post Caesar? Yeah. So yeah, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> a vision now. of beast world. <laughs> obviously, obviously, we don't want uh, you under the the auspices of, of the Biden administration, but. Once Red Caesar comes, you know, clearly the day of the rake, you know, free liberating Canadians from. Well, it is one of those things that people chuckle at, but because of the, the nature of confederation, most people don't realize that it's actually harder to trade within Canada than it is for most Canadian places to trade north and south with the border. So there's a lot of times where provinces have more trade with their natural trades. Like, so Vancouver and, and British Columbia has more natural ties with the Northwest United States. Um, mm -hmm. They're more like California than they are here. The prairie provinces are much more like, you know, Montana, Wyoming. And you think of like the people in Montana and Wyoming and how they are. Well, that's how they are in Alberta and Saskatchewan. You know, people in Ontario, we're basically like the Midwest United States. You know, oh, yeah. we're like people in Chicago, Detroit, um, Cleveland. That's that's kind of us, right? Manifest Destiny lives on, just goes north. That's right. right? You yeah. know, the and then Quebec is kind of its own thing. And um and then the the Maritimes, um, you know, I mean, if you read the early histories, the Maritimes, the provinces, they, they, that interaction back and forth was quite extensive, right? So all of those those natural ties are far more more north south natural 
than they are. So if let's say the U.S. were to break up into various pieces, you could easily see Canada breaking up along with the the U.S. and and forming those natural alliances. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it, it's it's a very sort of it's an interesting sort of thing that that um, a lot of people have kind of mused on that that Canada in some sense is kind of an unnatural, um, you know, entity. And would have been much more naturally sort of these north-south type of corridors in terms of trade and, and culture and so forth. All right. Well, that is all of our Super Chats, guys. But I want to thank both Geo and Cryptos for coming back on. Make sure that you're checking out all of their stuff, following them on Twitter, Substack, uh, YouTube, Patreon, all that stuff. Make sure that you're checking out all the links that they were telling you telling you about. And of course, if this is your first time here, please make sure that you're subscribing to the channel. If you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, you can, of course, subscribe to the Orin McIntyre Show on your favorite podcast platform. All right, guys, thanks for coming by. And as always, I will see you next time. Next time.